All right, good morning, church. Let's get into the word. I'll be reading out of John chapter 3 this morning. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel what I said to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for these words um, here this morning, Lord, these words on these pages that God bring truth and bring life and bring light to the darkness, God. And we just pray, Lord, that as we enter in in a time of uh, teaching this morning, God, that we would just be able to uh, see you, learn more about you, Lord, in your character, that the God that we love but are incapable of loving, God, because our sin nature is just so dark, God. We just pray that uh, this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just be with us, Lord, here in this room, Lord, that you would just breathe life and, and light into us, God, that you would give us wisdom and understanding, Lord, to, uh, to understand the heavenly things and not just the earthly things, God. We just pray that, uh, Lord, you'd be able to make something out of us, broken little pots, God, that you would just mold us into something new and, and shiny, Lord, a vessel to be carried out for you, God, something precious, Lord. God, we love you and we give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may remember last time we started our discussion of Nick at Night, which is a discourse on salvation. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he has questions. And this discourse that they have, when we look at the Gospel of John, we talked about this last week as well, the Gospel of John is built around several discourses and signs that John focuses on so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you would have life in his name. So this is John's purpose as he puts these scriptures together for us. And so as we begin, I just want to remind you the message 
the message of God Jesus gave in those first seven verses. We discussed them last week just so we can keep them fresh in our mind. It says there was a man, Pharisee, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, who came to Jesus by night, said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. So Jesus answered, truly I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What's the message of God? Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's the message. Unless you are born again. Now remember, I told you that offended Nicodemus because Nicodemus' whole life was about saving himself. And if we're honest, probably the greatest struggle in the church today is that same struggle. We're trying to save ourselves. We don't drink, we don't smoke. We do this list of things we learned as traditions within the church, right? I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. Why? Why do we do that? Because somewhere inside of ourselves, we're trying to make ourselves worthy. We're trying to save ourselves. And Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus is to set all of that aside and be born again. Be transformed by the Spirit of God entering into our life. And so Nicodemus asks, how can this happen? How can this be? I'm an old man. How do I get born again? And Jesus answered and said, unless one is born of the water and born of the Spirit. And then he goes on to describe that when he says, flesh is flesh and spirit is spirit. We're born into this world and then we are born again in the spirit. And we are born again. That second birth is like the first birth. You remember all the work you did to be born the first time? Did you have to get all your stuff packed and all your ducks had to be in a row? You know, you weren't supposed to be laying on the left side and all that amniotic fluid. You're supposed to be laying on the right. What were you doing when you were born? Being born. What are you doing when you're born again? It is, this, these are all passive verbs here, guys. This is something God is doing in you. Be born again. And I'm not saying that there's not a place for works. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But the point is, our works don't save us, right? The good deeds don't save us. The, all the things you don't do, they didn't save you. Nor do all the things you do do. One thing can save you. One thing saves me. Jesus Christ. He saves. He provides that new birth. The message of God, the message of God, you must be born again. Now listen, in verse 8 he says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound, but you did not know where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. I want you to understand what he's saying, because we, especially when we come to scriptures, we know. You know, in a little while, we'll read John 3.16, and most people won't hear nothing I say, because you already know everything. I do the same stuff. I have to guard my mind against all the things I think I know when I read the Word. 
Because I want the word, the word of God is alive and powerful. And we come to the word and we want the word of God to shape me. Now here's the trip. Here's the thing that happens. I come already knowing. I come with a system. I come with a theology and I interpret according to my theology. And what I want to do is come honest, open, Lord, what are you saying? Here's what he's saying, guys, when he lays this out for us. The wind blows where it wishes. You cannot control it. The wind blows where it wishes. You cannot cause it. Doesn't matter how hot a day it is. I go outside and have all the positive thinking I want. Doesn't mean a breeze is going to come up and cool me off. The wind blows where it blows, when it blows, and it is outside your control. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Your being born again is not under your control. You don't control it. It is a work of God. God accomplishes this work. He's going to do this work. That's why Nicodemus, when he's listening to him, he says, you can't control it, you can't cause it, but you can experience it. You can experience being born again. The transformation that takes place inside the soul of a man or a woman. We don't control how it happens, why it happens, when it happens. We'll talk a little bit about that. I'm going to try to frame that idea, but I want you to hold on to this. It is a work of God. For we are saved by grace through faith, right? It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man would. What would he boast about? Look at all the things I've done. I was really good for a week, two weeks, a month, a year, and then I got saved because I was so good. I stopped using drugs. I stopped drinking. I stopped doing all the things I knew I shouldn't have done. And as soon as I stopped all those things that I knew I shouldn't have done, then I got saved. That's how man boasts. The Bible says be born again. You have to be born again. The Spirit comes. The Spirit does this work. And Nicodemus is tripping because it's opposite of everything he grew up on his whole life. For him, it was like I memorized the scripture and I'm holy, I'm holy, I'm holy. And we have this emphasis on holiness. Listen, your holiness, please grab a hold of this. Your holiness is not about what you do. It's about where you are. Your holiness is not about what you do. It's about where you are. Read the scripture. Moses, take off your sandals. You're on what? Why? Because Moses was doing something really good? Why was Moses on holy ground? Where was he? He was in the presence of God. How do you get holy? You get where? In the presence of God. Of God. Now, are there things that we won't be doing to be in the presence of God? You bet. Right? But my focus is not going to be on all the things I'm going to do. My focus needs to be on one thing. Light came to the darkness, and the men did not comprehend it. That's what it said in chapter 1 of John. Light came. Who's the light? 
Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world, right? I am the light of the world. I want to get holy. I got to go where? I got to go to the light. I just got to get where he is. I got to be in his presence. Why do we worship? We want to get into his presence. We want to laud him with his worthiness. We want to get a glimpse of his glory. We want to see his beauty because those are the things that will make us holy. And you'll find yourself in his presence and God speaking the word. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. Because you're with him, near him. Nicodemus, he says, I don't get it. I don't understand. So listen, Jesus responds, are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not understand these things? You're the teacher. He doesn't say you're a teacher in Israel. He says you're the teacher. We don't know what his role was in the realm of the Pharisee or the Sanhedrin. But we know that Jesus uses a definite article for a reason. You're the teacher. You're the guy teaching all these people and you don't understand what I'm saying. You ever try to tell somebody something different than what they've had as or held as tradition their whole life? Have you ever tried that? People who have held the particular tradition and this is just how it is and, it, and they're, they're steeped in it and they're nailed down to the ground in it and then you try to tell them something different. And they say, I don't understand, I don't understand, I don't understand. And you bring up scripture, but that scripture is always being focused on through the lens of their tradition. And so the lens of their tradition, they say, well, I don't, I don't think that's what that means. And we have these long conversations. Jesus saying, you're the teacher of everyone. And you don't understand The Bible tells in 1 Corinthians 2.14, you're familiar with this, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Now we all come from a variety of different traditions, and I promise you when I said that, several of you saw that sentence in a particular light, one light or another. But when we look at the book of 1 Corinthians, we understand that Paul is making a contrast and comparison between two kinds of wisdom. Earthly wisdom, human wisdom, and spiritual truth. Earthly wisdom and spiritual truth. The man whose hope is in earthly wisdom is never going to care about the things of spiritual truth. You don't care about the word. I don't believe what he's saying is that the man who's not regenerated, not saved, can't understand Scripture. Because I can throw out to you, I don't even know how many, man upon man upon man upon man who responded to the Scripture before regeneration occurred. Man after man after man after man. We have this idea of human wisdom and spiritual truth. And the Bible says the natural man won't accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to them. He does not understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. They are discerned through spiritual means. God has revealed through the Spirit 
who he is and what he is about. You're holding it in your hand right now. The word of God is God's revelation to mankind. If you don't understand what I'm saying, read Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 says, you don't need to tell any man about God. All men know God exists and they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. How do you suppress the truth if you can't understand or know the truth? They suppress the truth. Why do they suppress the truth? Because their hope is in human wisdom. I will save myself. I will deliver myself. I will get myself there. I will arrive there myself. Is it possible that the word of God sent by the prophets of God written by the apostles of God, is it possible that that word of God is able to direct a man to salvation? Well, Paul believes so. Paul believes so. Listen, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, Paul writes about Timothy. How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the holy scriptures. Listen to what it says which are able to make you wise. For what purpose? What's the verse say? For salvation. The scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. The scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. Why was Paul praising the life Timothy had long before he got saved? His parents, his mother and his grandmother were reading him the scriptures, which are what? Able to make you wise. For what purpose? For salvation. What is it? It's light. It's truth imputed into the heart of a man, poured out through the heart of God said in Isaiah 55, my word will not return to me. It will accomplish what it's sent to do is God's word powerful or not or is it just words on a page and there's nothing can happen according to the word of God until you're regenerated how does that work no we we have the power within the word of God that's what Paul's telling Timothy that was imputed into you through your parents as they read the scriptures to you which were able to make you wise turn on a light Turn on a light in our darkness. Look, Paul's intention and Jesus' intention here is to say that those who rely on human wisdom instead of spiritual truth, that same spiritual truth brought out and inspired by the apostles will see the cross as utter foolishness and perish. You ever try to tell somebody about the word and they're like, nah, that's lame. Yeah. The light came to the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. You know what John goes on to say? But to those who did, to those who received him, to them gave he the power to be called what? Sons of God. Those who came, those who are drawn, they come. 
I would say there are a lot of ways that God draws people. We're going to talk about this a little bit more, but there's a lot of ways God draws people. He draws people through his word. He draws people through the prophets. Yeah? Jeremiah going out into Judah, calling the people to repent and believe. Calling the people to repent and believe. And some people repented and entered into exile. And God said, you are the ones that I will bring back from exile and reestablish the nation of Israel. Others rejected the word of God. And they died without hope. Did they both have a choice? Sure. Sure. Look, the Bible tells a story between wisdom and the fool, the way of the wise and the way of the fool. Read the book of Proverbs. Lady Wisdom is calling people, come and follow me, come, follow me. Don't take the path of the fool, which leads to destruction. Because the fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. So the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, right? And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The light comes and men are drawn. Man is drawn to that light, to come to that light. Listen, he says in John 3.11, he's going to lay out for us the idea. We see, we see he has a question, the difference between the natural and the spiritual man. Well, what's the cause? <coughs> Excuse me. Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Who's Jesus talking about? Can't be talking about the disciples. The disciples barely know what's going on at all, still. In fact, I'll make the argument when we get to chapter 20 and 21, they barely know what's going on. Is it the disciples he's talking about? No, but there's something specific that Jesus has in his mind when he says, we speak of what we know. There are two people on the scene during this time who are speaking forth God's word to the people. One of them, his name was John the Baptist, and the other one is Jesus the Christ. And he's saying to Nicodemus, look, we are telling you what we know. We are giving you the word of God. We're bestowing you with the truth that God has given us. What was the truth that God had given John the Baptist? You're the one, John, who's going to declare to the people the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Who did John point out? Jesus, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the, the sin of the world. Look, this is the one. This is he whom we should have our focus on. Jesus is saying, look, I am bearing witness as well. I'm telling you, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And so you have this discussion taking place between two witnesses. The Bible says something is confirmed by two or three witnesses, right? Here you have two witnesses coming forth and saying, here he is, the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King, the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. But listen to what Jesus says. We tell you what we know. We bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. But you won't believe it. Because you're steeped in your tradition, and you're trying to save yourself. You're trying to save yourself. Listen to what Jesus, after the crucifixion, 
<clears throat> on the road to Emmaus. Just, just hear what he said to the disciples. Luke 24, verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, what's it say? To believe what? All that the prophets have spoken. Oh, if only we had ears to hear. How many times does the Bible challenge us with that? How many times is the Bible challenging us? Let him who has ears hear the things that the Spirit is speaking to the churches. But we, we are like Jesus speaking to his disciples, slow of heart to believe in all the things the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ would suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses, that means Genesis. You know what the five books of Moses are, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, five books of Moses. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets. That pretty much covers everything. He began to interpret to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. They're able to make you wise. Open your eyes to the glory of the light of Christ. Jesus goes on to Nick and he says, listen, if I have told you earthly things and you cannot believe, oh wait, he doesn't say that. How, how does he say it? If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He's saying no one has ascended into heaven. No one has ascended into heaven. At the time of Christ, standing Nick at night, talking to Nicodemus, he said no one has ascended. None. No one has ascended except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. <clears throat> the bread of life, who has come down from the Father. He who descended is the only one who has ascended. Who else can tell you about heavenly things? Who else can tell you what does it take to enter the kingdom of God? What does it take to enter into God's presence? You must be born again. I'm telling you, I'm, he's laying out for him this idea, guys. He's laying out this idea of, I'm giving, you, I'm giving you this example of human wisdom or heavenly wisdom. And why, Nick, why do you want to run to human wisdom? Why do you want to run to human wisdom? None of these people you're putting your hope in, none of the rabbis, none of the great teachers before have ever ascended into heaven. Just me. Why do you want to believe what they say? Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And not hear what I'm saying to you. You must be born again. It's a work that God does in you. Now Jesus is going to describe it. But there's no one else who can impart to you or I heavenly truths except for God. We would not know them on our own. The only way we know them is because God has revealed them to us. How has he done that? Through his word. John, again, spoke to us. No one has seen God at any time. The only God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed God to us. Jesus Christ. He reveals the heavenly things 
to us. Now he's going to give him the method. How is God doing this? He, Nicodemus doesn't understand. It goes against his tradition. It goes against all these other ideals that are bouncing around in his mind. And so God's going to give him the method. He's going to, Jesus is going to say, let me illustrate. <clears throat> let me help you understand how being born again works. You ready? We want to know, don't we? <clears throat> what does it look like? He says in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, and whoever believes in him may have eternal life. As Moses lifted up the servant, the serpent. So that takes place in the book of Numbers. This is a good story to tell your kids that won't eat dinner. The children of Israel complained about not wanting to eat dinner. God sent fiery serpents to bite them. It always worked at my dinner table. So the Lord sent fiery serpents. The fiery serpents, they, they bit people and the people were dying. Now I want you to picture a big group of people. Whatever, it doesn't, numbers are, are only, are, 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 are all relative. So think about the biggest pile of people you've ever been in one place and you wish you could get out of this pile of people. Now picture that pile of people with snakes everywhere. Biting everyone. And then the people who are falling are dying, and so the people who aren't bitten are doing what? Well, maybe some of them are running away, but some of them are trying to help the guy who's on the ground next to him, right? Maybe one of the people bitten was your child. You're not leaving, are you? You're dropping on the ground. You're figuring out everything you ever heard, thought of, could think you're trying it all, aren't you? You're trying it all. Scripture says that the Lord bestowed God. He said, Lord... Lord, what do we have to do to let this judgment pass from us? The Lord said, take a <coughs> image of the curse. Well, isn't that what a serpent is? You guys remember the curse, don't you? Scripture tells us that, that's probably sacrilegious. Scripture tells us that there was a serpent, yeah. There was a serpent, right? In the beginning, at the fall of man, and the serpent becomes a symbol for the curse. So Moses, God says, Moses, take the symbol of the curse. The curse that was, that was affecting, afflicting the people was a serpent, right? They're getting bit by it, so they take that serpent and they affix it to a bronze pole. Bronze pole symbolizes judgment. Bronze is a, is a medal of judgment. God judging the curse. And so the idea is God will judge the curse. And so he took the bronze pole and he lifted it up with the serpent attached to the bronze pole. And he told the people, now stop trying to save yourself and look at the pole. And everyone who looked, everyone who looked upon that symbol of the death of the curse was saved. Not the ones who understood tourniquets or first aid, not the ones who tried to suck out all the poison, not the ones who just were busy thinking, I can do this, I can save them, I can do it, it's just dumb, this is stupid, how can that have anything to do with it? I am able to save myself, I am able to save myself. Those people died with their hope in human wisdom. When divine wisdom told the people, look 
Look to the pole, to the curse that has been slain, and be saved. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? The same way Moses did that. I'm going to do it. The Son of Man will be lifted up. So Jesus Christ is going to become a symbol of the curse. Yes? 2 Corinthians 5.21 And he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become what? The righteousness of God. Well, you became righteousness of God. You became holy. You became because you quit doing a bunch of stuff, right? No, how did you do it? Because Jesus Christ was lifted up. That he became the curse. If you or I die, we're just getting paid what we're owed. That's what the Bible declares when it says the wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ never sinned. He never failed. And he became a symbol of the curse. He bore the curse. <clears throat> and he, he was lifted up. That word lifted up, it's interesting. I, I did a, a kind of chasing down the ideas of being lifted up. In John chapter 12, Jesus is going to say this again. In John chapter 12, verse 31, it says, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. <coughs> and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men, all people, all mankind to myself. Jesus is talking about the same thing. When I am lifted up and declared to be your sin sacrifice, when I am declared to be the curse, all who look to me, all who come to me, he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Paul writes about it as well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in human form, speaking of the Christ, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has, you see those next three words, highly exalted him. You want to know what word that is? He has highly lifted him up. Same exact word. God has exalted. That word exalted and the word lifted up the same. <clears throat> that <clears throat> curse was exalted before the people and Moses and the people who looked to it in faith. They heard what God's word said and they responded to the word of God through the fear of God and they did what God asked. They looked and God did what he promised. He saved. They responded to his word. Jesus said, I'm trying to teach you earthly things, but you're not responding, Nicodemus. Uh, how will you respond when I tell you heavenly things? You're not responding to these things. What is the motive if God, this is the, the, this is the, <clears throat> the method of God, the Son of Man will be lifted up. Why? What's the motive of God? What's the next verse say? 
The next verse is the why, guys. It begins with the word for. You know what the word for means? Because. Why did God lift up his son? Because God so loved the world. Because God so <clears throat> loved the world. He gave his one and only son. The word, many of our, many of us are used to his only begotten. Unfortunately, only begotten leads a lot of people down some crazy ideas. Only begotten. The word is monogamous. <clears throat> monogamous in the Greek means one and only. His one and only. He, he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him, believes in him, hears the word of God, responds to the word of God, responds to the light in the word of God, not by suppressing the truth, but by lifting their eyes to the Christ. He who responds to the word of God should not perish, but have everlasting life. The motive of God is love. The proof he gave his one and only son. What's the prerequisite? That you believe. What's the promise? You will not perish. You will have everlasting life. What is God's mission? The method lifting up Christ. Right? The method lifting up Christ. The motive is his love for the world. What's his mission? To save us. Look what it says in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God did not send Jesus to condemn the world. Do you know that the scripture is going to tell us, we'll read about it in the gospel of John, that all judgment has been committed to the son. Because Jesus Christ humbled himself in obedience to the point of death, right? It said, we read about it in, in Philippians chapter 2. So the father has highly exalted him, right? His name is above Every name that is named, right? That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, right? So he's highly exalted him. He's highly exalted him to the point that Jesus Christ is himself either your savior or your judge. You choose. Savior. Or judge. All judgment has been committed to the Son. Look what he says in verse 17. God did not send his Son to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. How? Through him. Through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. How? Except through me. One way, one path, one road to salvation. Lift your eyes upon the prize of Jesus Christ and be saved. Believe what the word said. Respond to what the word declares. He says in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. 
We are all on this round planet, dead men walking. Ephesians chapter 2 declares the same truth. We were all dead in our trespasses and sin. But he, God, but God, he has made us alive together in him. Who made us alive? Did I make myself alive? Who made me alive? God made me alive. How? By his mercy, through grace, by faith. God said it. I believed it. Scripture lays out the world is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, Yeshua. Yeshua. He has not believed that God is his salvation. Yeshua. Yehoshua. It means God is salvation. Jesus. His name means God is salvation. Why are they condemned? Because they will not believe in the name of the only Son of God. They will not believe that God is salvation. We keep trying to save ourselves. We do a bang-up job. You know what? The government really is a big old drag. So we're going to declare our own little free state. And it took what? Six weeks? Eight weeks? I don't know. Eight weeks for Animal Farm to be lived out and complete? Or 1984 or Fahrenheit 451? You guys have read books before, right? What happened in the Chaz or the Chop? What will happen in the one in D.C.? What will happen everywhere man tries to govern himself? What did Daniel tell us? <clears throat> he said the head of gold doesn't last. It becomes a chest of silver. The chest of silver doesn't last. becomes the, the, the belly of bronze. The belly of bronze doesn't last. It becomes the legs of iron. The legs of iron don't last. It becomes the legs of iron mixed with clay. The legs with iron mixed with clay don't last. They become feet of clay. But in the end of the dream, what happens? A rock not cut out with hands from the heavens strikes that symbol of the kingdoms of man that grinds it into powder and grows and becomes a kingdom that fills the whole earth. Now, how do I get into that kingdom, that kingdom that never ends? How do I get into the kingdom of God? Because the kingdom of man fails. How do I get there? Jesus said, you must be born again. And I'm not going to do it but because I thought of a better law or a better way to govern or a better way to do this or a better way to do that. We are... We're never going to enter into a utopian society, guys. We are broken people who only make dystopics. They went into the Chaz in Seattle and they said, here's what we're going to do. We're, going to, we're done. No police. It's just going to be one giant party. The mayor, you remember the mayor? She got up and she said, it's going to be like a summer of love. Right? But what happened? Seven people died. A group of thugs rose up, got guns, and declared themselves to be the police. What did they do? Beat people, shot people. What were they complaining about? The police. For what? Beating people and shooting people. Because what is man destined to become? 
He's destined to become of his own the very thing he hates. Because man cannot transform himself. God does that. Man tries and tries and tries, but only God can do it. You must be born again. You must believe in Jesus Christ. That does not mean believe he exists. James will say that the demons believe in God. You guys know that, right? In fact, their theology is way better than ours. The demons know a lot more about the Lord than we do, but they're not saved, right? That's dead faith. That's a demonic faith. We need a dynamic faith. How do we have a dynamic faith? We put our faith in him. Who's going to save me? Jesus. When they lifted him up on a cross, I put my eyes on Jesus is going to save me. I believe what he told me. I trust him. And I'm not going to save myself. I'm not going to try to save myself. I'm just going to try to follow him. Wherever he goes, whatever he do, I'm just going to follow him. I just want to be where <clears throat> he is. And if I'm where he is, I will be holy because he is holy. If I'm where he is, I will be perfect because he is perfect. So the pursuit of my life is not to change me, but to follow him. Follow him. Follow him. My eyes on the prize moving forward. Listen, why? The mission of God is to save us. We stand condemned, but when we, when we stand in Christ, by faith in Christ, when we stand in him, it says in Romans 8, 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's it. You are born again. How? Because Jesus, what Jesus did. Because of what I did? No. Jesus was lifted up, and I come to him. The book of Revelation, at the end of the book of Revelation, if you guys have time today, maybe, maybe look at it. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, the spirit and the bride say what? Come. Come. All who are thirsty, what does he say? Come. Come to me. For Jesus Christ has been exalted. We come to him for salvation, not, not to ourselves. We come to him. In verse 19, he says, And this is the judgment. Savior or judge. This is the judgment. Light has come to the world. But people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Everyone who does, everyone who practices wickedness, they don't want to hear it. They want to stay in the darkness. That's why the light dawned and the darkness did not comprehend it. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works will be exposed. But whoever does, what's he say? What is true. He comes to the light. 
How does he do what is true? What did the word tell him? When the sun is lifted up, look to me and be saved. He responds to the word of God. He responds to what God's word has declared. Listen, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen his works have been carried out in God. Who is the doer? God. Who is the doer of the work? God. Who enables us to do the work? God. Who draws? God. Who saves? God. Who does it all? God. So what is it that I'm doing? What is it that is happening to me? The word of God would declare that man loves the darkness, not the light, because he loves wickedness. That word, he loves the wickedness, he loves the dark, that's the word agape. God so loved the world, agape. He gave his only son as a sacrifice, but men so love the dark, agape. They want to stay in the dark. So God sends light. He sends light into the dark. And man responds to that light. Jesus Christ is the light. Jesus Christ is truth. John 17, Jesus declared, Thy word, Lord God, is truth. The word of God is light. The word of God is true. Come to the light and be saved. Come to the light and be saved. When the word of God is presented, the man who is sacrificing himself to the dark, who is focused on saving himself, his own plan, his own purpose, he won't respond to the light of the word of God. And like the prophets who stood on the corner and called men to repentance and men shunned that word and turned away, they walked down a path that leads to judgment, condemnation, and ultimately a day before the judge and death. But that same prophet stands on the corner sharing the word of God and there are those who respond. Yes? There are those who hear the word of the prophet in turn, right? There are those who are able. The book of Proverbs, which lays out for us this idea of walking in the light, walking the path of the wise, following Lady Wisdom, that picture of Christ, following Christ, putting our eyes on the one who is able to save Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23 says, If you turn at my reproof, I will pour out my spirit to you. In the Gospel of Mark, it says that the Lord commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. What is it to repent? Turn at my reproof. So when I hear that word from the prophet, when I hear that word from God that says, hey, this is not okay, I'm supposed to turn at that reproof. I'm, I'm to respond to what the word of God gave me. And the Lord says, if you respond, if you respond to what the word of God says, 
I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you. If you respond to the light that God gives, he will give you more light. And if you respond to the light that God gives you, he will give you more light. Turn at my reproof. He says in verse 24 of Proverbs 1, Because I have called you, you refuse to listen. I have stretched out my hand, and no one has heeded. God's saying, look, I have put out the word. I have put it out. My hands are outstretched. Romans chapter 11, all day long, he stretches out his hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. If you turn at my reproof, I'll open your eyes. If you turn at my reproof, Proverbs 129 says that because they hated knowledge, they did not choose the fear of the Lord. So God's arms extended, the call of God through the prophet, repent. Turn, come, that call goes out. I have called you, but you do not turn. Why? Because you hate knowledge. Remember the natural man who holds fast to his human wisdom, that human wisdom symbolized in the fact that he will despise the cross? It's stupid. How can me looking at a pole with a serpent on it save me from being bit by a snake? You guys go to the hospital. Go, go run around in a cave out here. Get bit by a rattlesnake. Go to the hospital. Say, hey, what you need to do, doc, is put this snake on a pole and stick it up in the air, and I'll look at it and be healed, and you tell me what they're going to tell you. They're going to say, oh, yeah, that's a well-known cure for snake bite, right? Because human wisdom hates now, I'm not suggesting to you that's how God heals snake bites. I'm telling you how he did it for the children of Israel in the book of Numbers and that he did it that way so that they would understand that's how we're saved now. We look to Christ. We look to him. Proverbs 8.13 defines for us what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Proverbs, by the way, is a long time before the New Testament. It's a long time before Jesus dies on the cross and regeneration, but Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs tells us that in our fallen state, we are able to hate wickedness. God says that if you turn up my reproof, I'll give you more light. I'll give you more light. I'll give you more light. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil and pride and arrogance is the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So the psalmist will write in Psalm 25, who is the man who fears the Lord? He will he instruct in the way that he should choose. The man who fears the Lord, the Bible says in Psalms, the man who fears the Lord, that the Lord will instruct him in his ways. 
His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring will inherit the land. Listen, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them, what's it say? He makes known to them his covenant. To respond to the light. Nicodemus is in the early stages of a pursuit. He recognizes there's something different about Jesus, right? Something different about all his traditions, and he doesn't quite know how to put it all together, so he goes to see him. And Jesus tells him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nick's like, what, what do you mean? All the stuff I've been doing, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't get me there. I'm not like two-thirds of the way there. I'm not 25% there, you know, and I just need a little help over the hump. No, Nick, you need all the help. You're not saved at all. Well, how, how do I do it? Well, you don't do it, Nicodemus. It's something God does. God will change you. He will bring you to life from the inside out. Well, how's, how, how, do I, how do I make that happen? How do, I, how do I get that to happen? I say a prayer. I come forward in a church service. I raise my hand when the preacher asks, is that, is that how I make that happen? Jesus says, you know, the wind blows where it will. You don't know where it started or where it's going. So is a man who is born by the Spirit. You, you can't control it. But listen to what God's Word tells you. God says, I will show my covenant to the one who fears the Lord. God says, if you hear my Word and you're wanting, you're responding to spiritual truth, not human wisdom. You're responding to spiritual truth. You're holding fast to the spiritual truths of the word of God. That what? That there's no way to salvation except through Jesus Christ. That God is calling all men everywhere to repent, stop saving yourself, and turn and seek him who has been lifted up for you, who has been highly exalted about every other name. What did he do for the guys in numbers? Everyone who looked upon him. Everyone who lifted their eyes to the pole, they were saved. So Nick, there's nothing for you to do. You are a condemned man. You're a dead man walking. But God will make you alive. What do I do? Look at him. Hosea chapter 6, the Lord says, I don't want your sacrifices. I don't want your money. I don't want your stuff. I want you to want to know me. Hosea 6, 4 and 5. I want you to want to know me. I want you to be faithful. Just like you want your bride or your groom to be faithful. God says, this is all I want from you. Look to me. Stop trying to be what you think I want you to be and just come be with me. And you will become what you're trying to be. 
The answers are in his presence. Holiness in his presence. Purity in his presence. Perfection in his presence. It's in him. It's in him. It's lifting our eyes to him. In closing. Uh, you guys came. You volunteered for all this. Huh? I just want you to hear how this works out practically, okay? Just, I'm not going to talk about it. I could talk about it all day. Come to my house. I'll talk about it some more there if you want. But I'm just going to read to you when this happened. I- I'm going to say it happened for Nicodemus. Because once upon a time he came at night. But there was a day when he walked up before Pilate in the middle of the day. And said I want the body of Jesus. And Pilate said finally I've met some of his friends. He took that body down. A holy man doesn't touch a dead body just so you know. He took that dead body down and he did what women do for it. He rubbed spices all over him. He washed him. He cleansed him. He covered him. He wrapped the linen around him. And I think all of those things he did in hope that what Jesus told him was true. And he would see him again in three days. That's a different man than John chapter 3. Acts chapter 10, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared the Lord with all his household. What did that say? A devout man who did what? I said I wasn't going to talk. I'm sorry. Who feared the Lord, feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Is he saved? Is he responding to God's word? What did God say he would do? If you turn up my reproof, I will give you more. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw a vision of an angel. An angel of God came in and said to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror. What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers, your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. This guy's not saved, not regenerated, but God's answering his prayer. Ooh, sounds like exactly what God said he would do if you put your eyes on him, no? Send men to Joppa, bring Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with Simon the Tanner. His house was by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, devout soldiers, from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent him to Joppa. You guys know the rest of the story? They go to Simon Peter at Joppa. They go, Simon Peter, you got to come share the gospel with this guy, uh, Cornelius. He's a, he fears the Lord, and he prays to God, and he gives alms to the people, but he's not born again. And so Peter goes, okay, this is weird. I had a dream today about three sheets, you remember? With all these unclean animals, and the Lord saying, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter said, no, Lord, no, Lord. You're not supposed to do that, by the way. The Lord said to Peter, do not call what I have cleansed unclean. 
So Peter went. Cornelius said, okay, Peter, go. And Peter said, what am I here for? And Cornelius said, look, I, I, I want to understand God. And so Peter starts to preach the gospel. He doesn't finish. He don't make an altar call. He don't call for prayer. He does not baptize. The Holy Spirit comes upon Cornelius. God, like the wind, he's born again right in front of Peter's eyes. He begins to speak in tongues just like the people did in Acts chapter 2 when the gospel first went forward. And Peter declares, now I know that God is not uh, partial toward people for salvation, but to every man and every nation who fears the Lord, God will move. You must be born again. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for the opportunities that we have to study your word, God, to know your word, to delve in, dive in, hold fast, comprehend Lord, you call all of us to be a student of your word. God, why did you give us the word? So that we would pay heed. Lord, you told us in Proverbs that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The first step on that path of wisdom is to fear the Lord, to believe what God said if you turn at my reproof, I will give you life. If the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You are good and faithful God who saw me broken and for your love for condemned mankind you sent your son who took my sin my failure my brokenness upon himself and then died for it that I might become righteous Simply by putting my faith in Christ, my trust in you. God, I pray that in the heart of every man, woman, and child here, we repent and believe. And you, God, you make us a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works that God ordained we should walk in. Not my good works, not my ideas, not my system, God. I just want to follow you and do what you have for me to do. Whatever it is, however it looks, wherever it leads, it's you and me till I see your face. God, let that be every prayer in this place in Jesus' name. Amen.